listening to a Dhamma talk this morning by Ajahn Viridhamo. And he, he was talking about a time that he had invited Ajahn Chah to come to a little city monastery that he and Ajahn Smeda were temporarily in, in London, give some teachings. And it was, um, you know, it was in the busy, busy area of London and it was very hot and they had to have the windows open. It was really quite noisy. And he was very anxious about how noisy it was. And he apologized to Lungpar Cha, you know, because he was worried about, well, that was really uncomfortable. And, and Ajahn Cha said, his comments were, you know, the noise is not coming in to bother you. You are going out and bothering the noise. So just stop it. <laughs> Uh, it was perfect for me to hear this morning because I got very disturbed by the noise <laughs> happening today. Wind blowing up in the doors, slamming the doors, Alistair locking the doors, <laughs> people walking by. I just got, and then I was, I was worried for everybody else. Oh, I hope the noise isn't bothering them. I was completely going out and bothering the noise. I don't like it. I don't want it to be like this. Yeah. I like hosting. You know, and I, I like providing a space that's comfortable and quiet and beautiful and conducive to deep meditation. <laughs> and that wasn't happening. <laughs> Today and so I suffered a bit. You know, it's just um, another story that Ajahn Viridhamma brought up was he said when he was a young monk, he had this dream that for anyone, I think probably everyone here knows that a monastic of this tradition, anyway, Thai forest lineage, they only eat. They don't eat afternoon. And um, so they can't eat again until alms round and then their meal. And, uh, and he found himself dreaming that he was in this store with this big cart. And he comes across this section with cakes, lots and lots of cakes, and he fills up his cart. <laughs> all these beautiful cakes goes up to the counter and he doesn't have any money because he's a monk. <laughs> and he said, and the feeling was just, <laughs> and I know that feeling. I wish I was quiet. <laughs> Dang it. And what he was talking about then as he went on was, talking about the Four Noble Truths, this is the cause of suffering is clinging to a craving. I want it to be like, I want cake or I want it to be quiet. I want this to be a safe, quiet, beautiful place. Or I want cake. 
and they can't have it. And it's that clinging to the view that we must have something other than the way the the way things are. We must have something. We must get rid of something. We want something. John um, Samedo, I mean, Suchito, I'll read this in a bit, but there's this one line here I wanted to say, say that fits in right here. That's not part of what I'm going to read, but he says, the flood of views. So it's like the flood of, I want it like this, and it should be like this. I deserve it. You know, or, you know, I, I deserve a, a particular affirmation of my status, or I deserve you to treat me with more respect, or I deserve cake. <laughs> That's a view. The flood of views inflates the ego. This flood is difficult to check because views are the benchmarks of who we have. I would say this flood is difficult to check because views are the benchmarks we have for our reality and our actions. We believe this is who we are. My view is this is who I am. My view is this is how I am and don't tread on it. This is what I want. Don't tread on it. This is what I don't want. Don't give it to me. This is a view. And it's a flood of our, it's a, it's a flood of sensualities. You know, it's a flood of what we want, a flood of what we don't want. And we cling on to these views and we suffer because of that. So maybe I'll go ahead and read this because it's really quite, well, first a story, my own story just popped into my head. I'll read this in a minute. But I remember I had been in a relationship for about four years and it was breaking up and I was really pissed. Oh, I, I didn't want this. I didn't, I didn't like what was happening. I didn't like the results of this breakup. And I was really, really, really mad. And I remember feeling, I don't deserve this. I want this person to love me in the way I want to be loved. I deserve, I deserve better. And, and I remember that feeling, I want to be loved. And I'm not getting it. Damn it. Damn them. Breaking up with me. I remember I was, I was feeling this really intensely and just like, you know, how, how can I get rid of this feeling? How could they do this to me? I'm driving over the Fremont Bridge and the Fremont Bridge was just newly constructed. But until it shows you how old I am. I was driving at the time, but the Fremont Bridge was just newly constructed. So I'm driving over the Fremont Bridge and I just, it was the first time I noticed the shape of the Willamette River and the clouds were low and hanging. It just started to drizzle rain over here and the sun was breaking through and there was a rainbow. And it was just stunning. And I just got this overwhelming feeling of, oh my gosh, this is gorgeous. 
And I felt, I felt love for the beauty of my city in this perspective that I hadn't seen before. And I all of a sudden realized that, oh, the love comes from inside out. I can't feel somebody else's love for me. I can feel love for being loved, but that's for being that's from being in here coming out. It was a real wake-up call for me in that there's nothing I can do about it's not successful. I'm never going to get that feeling of love from somebody out there putting it into my heart. It comes from inside my heart in response to my circumstances, my environment. It comes from, you know, a spontaneous act of kindness, which I wasn't getting from this breakup. <laughs> so why was I expecting, why was I mad? that they weren't giving me what I wanted, what I felt I deserved, they, according to my views, you know? And then it kind of, it put this, I had a reality check there that what I wanted was stale. I can't get it that way, that's stale. It's never gonna come. But I can, put myself in circumstances that open my heart. This view was closing my heart. I can actually take action to put myself in circumstances that open my heart, protect my heart from closing. This is what the practice of metta is about getting in touch with that ever-present refuge that opens the heart. And that's a protection from closing it down again. It's a protection from grasping suffering based on ill will. Because when we have that, when when we are in touch with a heart opening, there is no ill will. There's acceptance. There's, it's an, it allows us to, it, it provides us a strength of character that allows us to stay present with the reality of a situation. So yes, I was in pain. Mm, breakups are hard. I was in pain. I could be, when I could feel my heart open, I could be present for the pain. This is, a, this is the way it is. I could also be present for the thoughts that come up. I can, I can go back to this situation and I can still, I can still see that thoughts will arise. You know, that jerk, 
And I can see that, oh, that's just, that's my habit. So, okay. Hmm. And the minute I accept that, well, yeah, there's still a little bit stuff there. There's still a habit that wants to point a finger. But now I can see that that's just a habit. It is actually not a description of who and what I am. It is a habit that I'm not going to believe in, that I'm not going to identify with. But instead, just recognize the pain that that influences, that that, that, that brings on, and let it pass. You know, if we don't stop it and form an identity around it, it will we'll be present for the, the pain of it, but we won't, it can't sustain on its own. It's just a thought that causes this little emotional reaction. That's all it is. And it, it fades away. So it's in that fading that we recognize obvious that's not who I am because it's not here it's still not here what is still here is awareness consciousness I'm aware that this feeling arose and that this feeling passed away and then there's this spaciousness there's this sense of ease contentment with the way things are. And we can do this in, in small ways, little ways. And as we strengthen our ability to stay present and open, wise, awake to the pain, to, the, to our reaction to it, to our thoughts that come up and the emotional reaction to that, as we stay present, and let them pass rather than taking actions or forming a view around our position with this thought. If we do this, we add to our spiritual character that has the ability to stay with painful experiences, with anything that, you know, encourages us to grasp onto some kind of craving. It should be like this. I deserve cake. I deserve to be loved. I... I think I, I don't remember if I brought this up here or if I was just talking to Alistair the last time I was um, here. I had listened to a talk a couple of weeks ago by Ajahn Yaniko, and he talks about this practice of just saying, so. So it's like a view comes up. I'm just a really lousy meditator. I, here I am again. I'm just 
I'm having a really hard time meditating. So, or, gosh, I'm good at this. So, <laughs> I'm just saying this. So everything is like, it's just a view. So, and <laughs> it helps weaken our grasping onto a view or a position that we've taken. All that is ego, which isn't real, but strives to grab, 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 to say, I am, I am this, or I am that. So I'll, I'll read this bit by Ajahn Smedic, because I just think it's beautiful teaching. So again, just to start with the, the flood of views inflates the ego and supports the identity flood of becoming. This flood is difficult to check because views are the benchmarks we have for our reality and for our actions. These floods of sensuality, becoming and view, these floods, floods, becoming and views are carried by the most fundamental torrent that of ignorance. Ignorance is the force that undermines our direct investigation of experience. Under its influence, if we do not, if we do notice the problems that these floods arouse, we may attribute them to flaws in culture or religion or human nature, either wagging a finger of disapproval or shrugging our shoulders in resignation. <laughs> We may, in order, we may, in other words, adopt pessimistic views, but that strategy doesn't work, doesn't check the floods. Hence the approach that the Buddha encouraged was to see these floods as they are, as phenomena without attributing self, others, culture, or religion to them. But he didn't advocate a passive acceptance of them. Instead, he presented the template of the Four Noble Truths, which we may apply to our experience in the form of questions. That is, we can ask ourselves, is suffering and stress for myself or others bound up in this experience? What mental factors causes is it to be so? Is there an inherent, is there an inner shift, an immediate psychological change that will stop that cause? What process will give me what it takes to bring around and sustain that shift of perspective? Using the Four Noble Truths is thus the way out of ignorance, the way of transcendence. But to keep using such a means, we need to keep turning the mind's intention that way. This is why we develop the parami, otherwise known as the perfections. They build a temple from whose vantage point we can investigate the floods. So then in this section is stages and fruition of parami. The parami are then inclinations and potentials that we develop into clear intentions. Their development comes in three stages, the initiating, the gathering, and the completion. Initially, one brings the topic to mind. Even this much is useful. It means that parami get built in as a frame of reference. 
when other, when other values such as fun, convenience, style, worldly performance, and success can be taking over the mind. The gathering stage is when you apply the perfection in the face of opposition. Something in you doesn't want to bother. Other people don't see the point. It's not convenient, etc., etc. The third stage of completion is when you know your fullness in that perfection will take you through any obstacle. You can give up your life for it. You realize, why not? Life is going to end anyway. Why not establish the mind in a position of strength while there is time? So when we establish our minds on one of these parami, we can put aside the inclinations as to who's right and who deserves what, and we can focus on the intention of our own minds. As we get clear in that respect, we then have to meet the resistance that results from going against the current of the flood. This is the gathering stage in which there is often an emotional and energetic turbulence in the mind in which doubt and imbalance come to the fore. Here's where one has to use resolve, patience, wisdom, kindness, or the examples of wise friends in order to get steady. This is a stage in which perfections can establish to supplant impatience and tolerance and other defilements that cramp our potential. As we look for that balance within the shifts of our mind and world, we keep checking out the current in, in accord with the Buddha's own line of inquiry. Does this behavior cause me or others long-term harm, suffering, indignity, or stress? Does it lead to my welfare or the welfare of, of others and peace? As a result of that work, our inclinations and intentions get established on the good and the whole, and we are able to review the fractured, the stained, or the afflicted. You could say that on touching into truth, your mind is able to return to healing. This is how the bodhisattva arises. It's a mind that is in touch with truth, but not fully absorbed in it. Gone beyond your previous standpoint, capacity or view, and open to a place of wisdom and compassion. Instead of referring your actions to some self-image of what I deserve, and should I really, and this is what I always do, and all that I'm capable of, there's a shift to response that refers to a wider parameter than that of the habitual self. The great intention arises for my welfare for the welfare of others and leading to peace. Then that twisted loop in the circuitry of intelligence, that loop of self-view gets untangled. The mind unfolds a deep crease and in that unfolding, nothing is lost except a propensity to unnecessary suffering. It's not the case that I'm perfect, but that a perfect balance has been struck. This is the third stage of the parami, the completion. It's a change of life. Doesn't that sound good? And worthy of practice, worthy of exercising. 
you know, in light of everything that's going on in the world today, the war in Europe, in Ukraine, we don't know when something like this may happen. People in Ukraine did not expect this. We don't know. They didn't know many of them are now dead. And many of the Russian soldiers who also weren't expecting a war are now dead. We don't know when we're going to die. But we do know that right now we have the opportunity and will we take it? We have the opportunity to strengthen our spiritual character toward understanding, transcending our self-views. We can do it in every moment. In little ways, I want cake. I want this place to be quiet. Or in big ways, how could he have done this to me? Stay present. Process the experience. Watch your mind. Am I clinging on to a, am I suffering? In which case, it's an indication of clinging on to a view. What view am I clinging on to? Can I let it go? And be present for the experience of suffering as it passes. Because when we don't cling, it will pass. That suffering bit that's caused by the clinging will pass.